All right, Christ Community Church, we are continuing our sermon series through the various wise topics in the book of Proverbs. This morning, we're going to talk about wise listening. It has many connections to the previous two weeks where we have discussed in varying ways wise humility. Uh, we can't listen without humility. And so this morning, we will be in Proverbs, chap, uh, Proverbs 15, 31, 18, 2, and 18, 13, and we'll take each of those in turn. So if you would be turning in your Bibles to Proverbs 15, 31, and as you're turning there, uh, the key truth that we want to walk away with this morning is this, is that wise listening serves as the critical first step to receiving God's wisdom and being able to apply it to loving Him and our neighbors as ourselves. Let me say that again. Wise listening serves as the critical first step to receiving God's wisdom and being able to apply it to loving Him and our neighbors as ourselves. So if you would, give your attention to the reading of God's Word. We'll begin in 1531 and then we'll turn to 18.2 and 18.13. This is the word of the Lord. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 18.13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is to his folly and shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we turn back to 1531, uh, uh, I want to just ask a question by way of introduction. And again, you'll notice there's going to be a theme throughout where we're going to look to Jesus first. And so the question is this, what is Jesus's example to us in terms of wise listening? So we first have to begin with, how did he exemplify a, a value for hearing from God, his father? Notice how he made time and space for prayer and was always attuned to where the word of the Lord or the will of God was being expressed or communicated in some way, shape, or form. And so the first thing that he teaches us is that he was dependent upon hearing from God first before he would choose to do anything. Otherwise, he couldn't say, not my will, but your will be done. He had to know what the will of the Father was. And you may say, well, he was able to receive uh, a more direct communication. And, and they're, they're, I, I understand why we would say that, but look at all that we have. We have the fullness of God's revelation in His Word. From Genesis to Revelation and how that helps to shape us, inform us, teach us, we need to listen in to God's Word because Jesus was the incarnate Word. But even he listened in, even he participated in the means of grace of anybody who could skip synagogue on Saturday or church on Sunday it would be him. And yet he made sure that he was always present and listening and participating and leaning in. He also shows us an example of how to love one's neighbor and how he listened to other people. One particular story that comes to mind of many that we could cite is the woman at the well in John 4. Notice he went out of his way to be with this person who was considered one of the lowest members of society, so much so that she had to go and draw water in the heat of the day so as not to be maligned for her sins and her mistakes and her uncleanness, not just to the religious folks, but everybody in town knew her business. And Jesus was willing to hear her, but hear even more deeply the cry of her heart so as to apply the beauty and the truth of the gospel 
And there was some measure of transformation in her because she ran off and grabbed all her friends and said, hey, this guy's listened to me and now you need to listen to him. I think he might be the Lord and Savior. Notice when the disciples return, they, they say to him, hey, what were you doing hanging out with a loose woman in the middle of the day? You're going to ruin your reputation. He makes it clear to them that he has a different mission. And he's here to listen to the heart cries of the people so as to redeem and restore. Also, I can't help but think of when the children were wanting to come to him. And he wanted to spend time with them. He wanted to hear from them as well. And notice the disciples were like, hey, we ain't got time for kids. And Jesus says, no, you better let them come. And woe be unto anyone who leads one of these little ones astray. In fact, those are some of the harshest words in all of Scripture. He says, anyone who would lead these children astray, better they'd have a millstone wrapped around their neck and thrown into the sea. So he evidences his great humility in wanting to hear from sinners and children and broken people. He, he was willing to hear the cries of their heart and apply the gospel, which is instructive to us. So as we are stepping into this, I would like for you to hear this quote from Adam McHugh. He wrote a book called The Listening Life, and I would commend it to you. Several of our groups have gone through it. There are not many books on listening as something that needs to be cultivated. Uh, there's certainly not many in, in Christian circles, but this, this one is, is really good overall. And, uh, and so if you, you want to go deeper into it, I would, I would recommend this book. And if you'd like to walk through it with somebody, uh, be happy to serve you in that regard. But here are what he says. He says, throughout the Bible, listening is the central act of the people of God. They are those who are gathered and formed by His being God's voice and held together by His Word. They hear His promises and judgments, instructions and warnings, reassurances and exhortations. You become a disciple by hearing. Listening is the first act of discipleship. So what that tells us is this is absolutely critical. And as McHugh also, the point he makes in his book is that everybody assumes they're good at it. <laughs> really, if you think about it, you're really not. If you were to ask the people closest to you how good you are at listening, you might be shocked at some of their responses if they're willing to be honest with you. See, we, we, we think because we have two ears and everything just kind of comes downloaded that, that it's easy to do. But listening is not just about the physical act. It's what then is done with the information. Are we commodifying people by how we take and use that information? Are we evidencing a deep understanding? Are we willing to, to, to hear things that we don't like or things that we're struggling with or disagree with or don't understand? So that takes patience and kindness. And if you're not working on it, you don't cultivate it in some specific way, it does not come natural. And so as we turn to Proverbs 15, 31, we want to see first how listening is the way in which we evidence our love for God and we receive and are able to enjoy His love for us. 1531 again says this, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Now it's important that we notice a, a couple of words here and how it affects how we understand what's being said. And notice it's, it's that we are in the receptive position. We are in the, the, the humble, submissive position. It's, it's, it is a, a means of receiving uh, and, and not necessarily us being involved in shaping or forming. We are being shaped and formed. And it's, it's life-giving reproof. Now, that's, that's a, an important qualification. Um, and this life-giving term is not according to 
our understanding or feelings. Too often, I think that that's how we judge whether or not something is, is worthwhile or good. No, there are times where we need to be pierced. There, there are times where, where we need to be angered or challenged or decentered. Um, and God does that often, and He uses His Word to do that. So uh, the biblical definition of life-giving is that which draws us closer to the Lord and, and makes us look more like Jesus for the life of the world. Anything else pales in comparison and is a, ultimately a lesser good. And so it's very important that we recognize that life-giving is not what we individually think is edifying or encouraging. Um, it's not just individually what makes us feel good because our, our feelings are reactionary and submissive to all different kinds of things that, that make them uh, unworthy of being trusted as primary uh, or being uh, what decides what is true. And notice that this life-giving reproof is very similar to the language that we, week in and week out, have recited as part of our prayer in the assurance of pardon. As we talk about the Word of God from 2 Timothy 3, it is what helps to reprove us, to shape us, to form us. And so, so this life-giving reproof draws us further into relationship with God and further evidences to us His deep love for us. More important is the admission that we aren't yet perfect. See, we need reproof, and we need it regularly in some form or fashion because we are sinners still. We're being transformed further into the image of Christ. We will be glorified when He returns, but it is an arrogant thing for us to think that you don't ever need to be challenged, that you don't ever need wise counsel, that you don't ever need to be uh, corrected in some form or fashion. All of us need it on a regular basis, and we need to have places that we can trust first and foremost is God's Word, which we encounter both in our devotional lives as well as through the community that God has placed around us, and most importantly, in worship. But it also can come from some other places that we didn't see coming necessarily, right? Biblically, one of the big examples to me is when David uh, had Shimamiah. Every time, everywhere he would try to go, Shimamiah would come throwing stones at him and calling him a murderer, trying to make sure that the people didn't forget how broken he was uh, and, and how, how just the, the act of evil that, that compromised the holiness of God's kingdom. And of course, one of David's men offered to cut his head off, referring to him essentially as a dead dog, as if it was a foregone conclusion. And David said very wisely, no. No, the Lord has appointed him. There were also evil kings who had things uh, to say to God's people uh, in critique of the way in which they were living and failing to live. Um, he has spoken through a donkey. He has used many means by which to reprove his people. So for us, one of the lessons that we want to learn is it's not, it's, it's not the, the vessel it's not the means by which it comes to us. The question is, is it life-giving reproof? So anytime that we receive critique or pushback or challenge, we need to have the courage to take it before the Lord and say, Lord, is this you? Is this your voice? Are you trying to reach me in some way, shape, or form? It could be one of our neighbors, somebody who, who completely disagrees with us. This is one of the reasons why I think it's important for me as a pastor to uh, periodically read critiques of the church from the present generation, generations to come, from other uh, circumstances, that we would, we would not ignore those voices and not ignore those things as we are challenged and, and, and 
and oftentimes exposed to actually not look anything like Jesus. One of the most famous is, is Gandhi uh, would often say, I like Jesus. I just don't like any of his people because they don't look anything like him. Well, now, you may bristle at that, and understandably, we, we, we hopefully should because we're actually living and trying to seek to be like Jesus. But he's not wrong, um, and it's worthy of us uh, hearing that out, that those who we are called to, to welcome into the family, if they tell us we're being utterly unwelcoming, we need to pause. We need to put that before the Lord before we go getting defensive and trying to defend ourselves. So it's important that we recognize it's not just that this would come from uh, one source or one place. The Lord, who is sovereign over all, can use any and every means. And our critical first step should be to put it before Him and see if He is speaking to us. And again, it's always going to line up with His Word. Not every critique is valid, but every critique should be considered. Not, not every reproof is life-giving. It should be considered. And so we want to be a people who listen because we know that God speaks to us as people. He speaks often and He speaks through a variety of means. And this shows a real humility on our part. And it evidences that we know we're not perfect and that we need, we need to hear from Him. We need His correction. Uh, and we need to, to be willing to receive it from wherever He sovereignly decides to bring it to us from. Listen to what Charles Bridges says about this. He says, by nature, we are unteachable. Now, again, think about the quote from last week from Kathleen O'Connor. What makes us unteachable? Is it that we are ignorant, that we don't have the capacity? No. What makes us unteachable is we're arrogant. We lack humility. We think we, we don't need to be taught. We think we already know, which is why we're unwilling to actually receive reproof because we assume a perfection that has not yet happened in full as far as, as be, it being applied to us. It's applied in Christ. It's sealed in Christ, and amen, and that is good. But we can't go around in arrogance acting as if we are perfect and, and, and can't be taught anything. He goes on to say, But the Lord gives humility and self-knowledge. We become teachable, and light pours in. We learn the meaning of words that we had previously only known by name. The way we receive a rebuke, listen to this, tests our character. It reveals if we possess the grace of humility, sincerity, and self-knowledge. Again, this, this is, uh, makes us uncomfortable, right? I, I, and I don't want us to run around nitpicking one another and just uh, pointing out little tiny specks in every different direction without first having dealt with the planks in our own eyes. But we do need to grow as a critical community that would love each other well and be willing to say, brother or sister, this is not Christ-like. It may even be right. You do know you can be utterly right about something, but completely wrong, completely unchristlike in its presentation, and that loses all flavor. Essentially, it's to just be thrown out and trampled, as the Scripture would say. And so the question that I, I want you to consider in the power of the Holy Spirit, have the courage to take time to sit in this question or these questions. How do you respond to biblical reproof? Do you immediately get defensive? Confessionally, that's one of my besetting sins is, is, is to oftentimes want to defend, but never is it really because I am defensive about the honor or glory of Christ 
or the honor and glory of God in his kingdom. No, usually I'm defensive to protect my own glory, my own honor. How dare you think I didn't think about this? How dare you think I haven't read on this? How dare you think that I am ignorant of these things? Where instead I, I need to and am trying to grow in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeking to have that arrogance mortified so as to be able to have a more in-depth conversation, so as to be able to hear, hear from the Lord first. And so if you get immediately defensive, this is worth you taking some time to go, but why? And if you say, well, I get defensive because all these, I understand that there are some outside factors that do make it hard to be heard, and it does make it hard to receive reproof from certain sectors. I will grant you that. But, but the biblical pattern always is we examine ourselves first, get our own house in order, and then we can begin to engage in seeking to make things around us better. So if you immediately get defensive, or do you prayerfully consider the weight of the words in context of, de of delivery before you go responding? It's very important that we learn to get, be quick on our feet to pray, to learn how to quickly put something before the Spirit and see, is this from the Lord? Or to even take the time to search the Scriptures to find out whether or not uh, it, this, is, this, this is a biblical thing, if it's a word from the Lord, and, and to give thanks for it because the Lord loves us enough to discipline us as His children to reprove us to become more like Christ. All right, if you would turn back to the text, we'll look at verses 18-2 and 13 together, and we'll see how um, our ability to love our neighbor is deeply affected by our willingness to listen. Now, we heard what the wise look like and how they, they actually form a, a listening community based on their willingness to receive reproof. Unfortunately, we're going to hear how the fool conducts himself uh, in this way. So 18.2 says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding. So let me, let me just stop right there. That's an important thing to, to understand. It's not only that they're not listening, but even if they heard what you had to say, they, they don't care. So right out of the gate, it's not a, they don't have a hearing problem, they have a heart problem. They don't want to know where you're coming from. They don't want to know what your perspective is. They don't want to know uh, what you, you think or your, what your experiences have been. They don't want to step into your shoes and see it from your perspective. Notice what they want. But only, he's only concerned in expressing his opinion. Now. We need to take some time to really think this one through in the various interactions that we have in our spheres of influence. What you may find is in some situations, you're more willing to be understanding, especially with people who agree with you, especially with maybe those who, who have some chips with you. And that's good. That's a good foundation. But what do you do when it's somebody you disagree with or somebody you don't understand where they're coming from or you think that what they think is a threat to you or your ideology or your circumstance or your politics or your, or your church, whatever it may be? How does this play out in the variety of relationships? You can't think of it as just overarching because I think what we would all find is we do better in some situations than others. And we need to be able to grow and mature in all circumstances that the Lord sovereignly has provided around us, both challenging and comforting. But notice again that this is, this is an, a matter of the heart, not technique. 
this person has a heart problem. They don't, they don't care about what other people think and they treat other people as commodities. Other people are only bit actors on the great stage of their life story. It's only what they think that, that they want to make sure you know because they think they're better than you. This ties into last week. This is why we have to mortify our arrogance, our bitter jealousy, and our selfish ambition. That leads us here. See, if we let those things lurk in the heart, one of the ways in which it gives full bloom and it comes to fruition is in our, our unwillingness to understand. And again, that's deeper than not just listening. And it also uh, puts us in the position where we think people need to hear from us because we declare ourselves the expert, the only ones who can see it clear. We got a lot of that going on these days and, and all throughout our culture. And the world needs to see a listening community that's willing to say, listen, I have no way of knowing why this bothers you the way it does. I, have no, I, I don't understand why you find this to be terrible and that not, or you choose this over that. Uh, I, I don't understand why this affects you in the way that it does, but I care enough about you that I want to just sit and listen and take the time to understand. Now, this doesn't happen quickly, does it? This takes intention. It takes often more than one meeting. Why would we think that you could sit down with somebody who has, who has suffered oppression uh, that we, don't even, we can't even begin to get our heads around? We don't understand why it is that they walk through life so hypervigilant either because uh, of some oppressive reality or some abuse that they've suffered. Okay, the first confession is to say, I don't understand this because I've not experienced it, but I want to hear from you so that I can, when you weep, I can weep. When you see something that bothers you in the world that is wrong and broken and sinful, that I can respond in the power of the gospel, both to you and the circumstance. And even more, maybe that we would grow in compassion. I think sometimes we, we need to ask a question of ourselves, those of us who are part of the majority culture, why are we not bothered by some of these things? Why are we not bothered by some of these things occurring in our own uh, uh, spheres of influence, tribes, family, whatever it may be? Maybe we could learn something about compassion from people who've been through some things. Well, we got, we got to listen to understand. We got to hold our, our opinion until such time as we have done the due diligence of actually listening, understanding, and, and considering it scripturally and prayerfully, that we would not be quick to respond. Because that's what we see in the next text, that those who are quick to respond actually do communal damage and just commodify people. Notice what, what uh, verse 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears in his folly, it is his folly and shame. Now, what's interesting about this is, is what, what is meant here by before he hears. Now, again, for those of us who, are, uh, who fear the Lord, a big part of our hearing is to run it through the grid of, of God's uh, wisdom, right? And so, so it's not just the act of having taken something in and even considered it in and of ourselves. It, it, more, we have to think about it in terms of God's wisdom. How does God's wisdom apply to this? and how I should respond. It is arrogant of us to think that we don't need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in terms of how we hear and respond to people who are in need or hurting or in need of guidance and wisdom themselves. I confess, too many times I have answered in my own strength too quickly. 
I thought it might have been biblical, but I didn't know. It was in my own strength. It was quick and oftentimes would communicate a failure to understand the gravity of the situation. I think even how we, we fashion our ability to respond to say, before we go talking, hey, let's pray and ask for wisdom. Even that simple act alone, I think, would be so beneficial to us as God's community. Think about how that would be a loving act to our friends and neighbors, even, even those who aren't Christians. Most people I know won't reject you praying on their behalf. So why do we ignore that means of grace so quickly out of hand? And what are we teaching our friends and neighbors about the means of grace and the gospel by so doing? And then even to take time to consider that when we hear something heavy to sit in quiet for a while and maybe even go away and have to come back for another conversation, think of how that shows people value. Your circumstance, your situation is more valuable than just one meeting. I'm not just trying to get something fixed or done I'm trying to dwell with you. What a gift that would be to our friends and neighbors. What a gift that would be to the next generation. Think of the ways in which we have, we're ignoring some of the things they're saying because we just assume they haven't lived long enough or sinned big enough to be able to have an opinion. Well, that's not true. There is no age, uh, age at which it becomes okay to share one's opinion. And it's foolish to think that that opinion is not flawed throughout the whole of your life until Jesus returns. Yes, there's some ways in which they, there's things they don't understand historically because they haven't been through, they haven't experienced it themselves, but we would be foolish not to hear the cries of their hearts, their concerns, their critiques back to us. Be careful not to diminish with the language you use. In fact, so often this is where we get off the rails is instead of hearing what someone has going on and really thinking it through, we respond so quickly and oftentimes in the sharpness of that response, we cut off their nose to spite their face. And they're unable to hear anything we have to say because now we've turned it into an insult instead of an offering. And so we, we want to be the kind of people who recognize we're eternal. We can take the time. We're not in a hurry. We should have some urgency, but at the same time, we're not in a hurry and it's not dependent upon us. We need to turn to whom it is dependent upon. Any wisdom that I would have to give to you, I can't, I can't get it there based on my rhetoric or logic. It can only uh, be of benefit to you if the Holy Spirit uh, is, able to, is, is willing to uh, put it into your heart and mind. Too often... And you have to just, you have to forgive me and I'll need forgiveness in an ongoing fashion because I will make this mistake from time to time and, and I'll need to repent each time and, and you would love me well in pushing back when I, when I do it so that I can grow in, in, in wise listening myself, something that I've been thinking about actually for, for over two years now. And, and it's been a journey for me as well. But how often have I thought my rhetoric was sufficient for you? My intellect was sufficient for you. My logic was sufficient for you. My anger was sufficient for you. My love was sufficient for you. It's not. It's not, nor yours for me. It's only that which is brokered between us in the person and work of Christ. It's only in union with Christ that we have anything to offer one another. It's only in the power of the Spirit that it can actually have kingdom value. So we need to slow down. We need to not come in at an 11 on every conversation. We need to be willing to be patient uh, with people's hurt 
and anger. We need to learn to be patient with our own hurt and anger and not see the stakes as imminent in every circumstance. No, we serve the Lord who reigns. Christ reigns now, interceding for us, His church, guaranteeing that the church, the, the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. The church will never cease to exist. We are eternal. We can't say that arrogantly. We can't stomp around on people uh, proclaiming that. We need to recognize that in humility. The whole reason we're eternal is so the family can get bigger, not so that we can look better. And so it is critical for us that we grow in this particular um, way. Listen at what Adam McHugh, I, I return to him again, says uh, about uh, us failing to listen. This, I think this is very instructive and practical. Listen to the way he frames it. He says, I suggest we make it our aim to listen to, not listen for. Now, you need to think about that for just a second. They are very, it's very different to listen to someone as opposed to listening for key buzzwords, uh, uh, key moments where you can catch them in their logic, uh, key opportunities for you to jump in and, and interject your opinion because you don't want to understand where they're coming from. He goes on, in listening for, we are listening like a prosecuting attorney trying to uncover a hidden motivation, catch the person in a contradiction, or find something to confirm our suspicions. How many of you enjoy talking to people that you feel like you're constantly on trial? Are they the people you call when you have a need? Are they the people that you call for prayer? Are they the people you call for advice? I bet not. He goes on, we are setting the trap, poised to say, aha, at any second, to listen for is deconstructive. We are breaking people down into parts. We listen to collect data. We reduce people to issues or categories or positions in a debate. Let me just pause right here and say, I have yet to meet, myself included, anybody who is utterly consistent in their thinking and logic on any given issue. I have yet to meet anybody who is utterly consistent in their thinking or their logic on a position that they take politically or otherwise. Why? We're a mess. We, we can't be perfect in any of the positions that we hold. So it would be good for us to begin from a position of humility, recognizing we see through a glass darkly on the non-eternal things. We need to be clear about what is eternal and work from there and work toward each other instead of pushing away from one another. He goes on, we may view them as problems to be solved, issues to be diagnosed, shortcomings to be corrected. We listen for inroads or openings to spring our thoughts on them. We are in danger of turning people into mere foils for our opinions. Their words simply setups for our musings. See, what he's saying is this is to, to, to listen for is essentially a commodified exchange. And really, it's not really a good commodified exchange because one person gains and the other loses entirely. And so it's, it's, a, it's an oppressive commodified exchange. Whereas to listen to, to take the time to slow down, to seek to understand, to do so and, and, and repent where you find yourself being unable to or growing angry or unwilling to listen, to, to, to be willing to pray and seek the scripture before you give some sort of quick, hot take response, which this world doesn't need one more of. 
for the rest of the time that we're here. We're going to still get them, but we could do without them. And so we want to be a people who, by our act of listening, actually genuinely show love for our neighbors. And what's interesting is don't forget, when you love your neighbor, you're doing so as you love yourself. See, I wonder sometimes if, if we aren't anxious in the way we interact with each other because we don't feel hurt. We don't feel listened to. Again, this is where I think uh, uh, we, we could benefit from those who've been through some things, from those who've been oppressed. There's, there's a, a lot of folks now who are insanely angry because they feel like their voice isn't being heard. I know some people that can help you in that. I know some people who've been through some things that have endured oppression and not being heard and ignored for years and years and years and years who might be able to help you navigate the present circumstance in a way that they themselves have been faithful both to the gospel and the struggle. You might learn something from some of these people and help sit down with them, express, find out, learn, listen, grow, be reproved, repent, mortify, vivify. So what is the goal of most of your communications with other people? Again, this may vary, right? It may be different with those closest to you. A lot of times, those closest to us, we are sharpest, shortest, and unwilling to hear. We speak before we hear way too quickly with those closest to us, interestingly, on average. Oftentimes, we, we want to hear from those who we think can benefit us the most, which is arrogant. And so we need to take time, take stock of what is it that's really your goal? Is it relational? Is it to understand? Or are you just trying to get your opinion across? Let the Spirit do His work in you. It's not the end of the story. If you are one of those people who are opinion forward, I'm guilty. I've done it. It's not the end of the world if you fail to hear and speak way too quickly a lot of the time. I'm guilty. I've done it. But if you're in Christ like me, we're forgiven and we have the opportunity to grow and change. That is not the end of our story. That is not the only way we're wired. We can be rewired, recreated in the image of Christ. This can change. And we are invited to participate in seeing that change because we recognize the devastating cost if we don't. And then what does the, the speed, tone, content, and context of your response communicate about your value of the other person and the topic? I'm persuaded, I'm biased, I'm convinced uh, um, that there are certain avenues for which no certain conversations deserve way better than what we give them. Major conversations over text message, I just think that's difficult. So much gets lost in translation. Written forms of communication are difficult oftentimes for nuance and tone and all these, so much gets lost. I think email, I certainly think trying to do it in a public fashion online where you and somebody are trying to have a conversation while people are listening in from 20 years ago in your life and you ain't heard from and all of a sudden think they can pop in and, and tell you either you're an idiot or affirm what you're saying. That's just difficult, a very difficult thing to do for it to have any real value relationally. And the goal of communication for Christians is relational, always restorative. We use words to edify, build up, restore, reprove, just as God uses those same words, His word, to us for the same purpose. And so where we're failing to do that in how we listen, we're actually failing to look anything like Jesus and to build God's kingdom. 
And we need to repent of those things. We need to look at the various ways in which these things are problematic. And I can understand culturally things shift. Some cultures, you can talk fast and nobody gets offended. You can talk loud and nobody gets offended. You can gesticulate all you like and nobody gets offended. And in other cultures, it's a little more problematic. And you can say, well, I'm not, I'm not changing for those people. Check your heart. Jesus put on human flesh. He changed into a humiliated circumstance from a kingly circumstance at the right hand of God the Father to come and save us, to endure humiliation and suffering for our sake. It's an opportunity for us to look like Jesus when we take into account how what we do affects other people and either keeps them from hearing us or us from hearing them. This is an opportunity for us to show how much we love our neighbors because of God's love for us. So what does Proverbs 15, 31, 18, 2, and 18, 13 teach us? It teaches us these two things at least. A wise disciple receives biblical reproof in humility as a gift from the Lord. And it has to be life-giving. And remember, the definition of life-giving is it would be restorative both to God and to those around us. And then a fool fails to listen and understand and causes division and shame. Notice that the result of not, not listening is, is folly, which is a, you end up wasting your time, which time is ephemeral. And then shame, shame separates us from each other. That's what originally separated Adam from Eve. Remember, the first thing that they noticed after they had sinned and their eyes had been opened is that each other was exposed to the world naked. And they were ashamed, and it drove a wedge between them. Not only them, but also God. So church, would you, would you join me in seeking to, to mature and grow and become more Christ-like in how we listen? Would you recognize the missional value of listening? That first, we would hear from the Lord our God, who often corrects us in and through His Word, and it's always for life, life more abundant. And then as far as our neighbors are concerned, that we would actually want to understand them. Too often, that's where it comes off the rails. We don't, we don't even want to understand them, much less take the time to hear them. We just want them to know what we think about them, our opinion. We take too often, we, we, we talk too quickly instead of showing uh, uh, that we genuinely want to be able to give words of life, fitly spoken, in due season. And so let's pray for the Spirit to help us Give us opportunities. Expose where we are sinful so we can mortify it, vivify where it can be an encouragement and edification to our church and those in our community for the life of the world. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you that you listen to us. Thank you that you hear our cries. So we come before you this morning and confess that we, we struggle. We don't like to be corrected. We like to only be affirmed in what we already think about ourselves as near unto perfect, if not perfect uh, in full. God, we, we, we confess that we, we don't trust oftentimes the source, which ultimately is you, of any reproof that has biblical value, that we uh, uh, confess that we don't take the time to, to listen to you, to hear, that we, we think we already know. We skip aspects of, of either devotional time or liturgy on, on, in worship, thinking they're of less value than others. Anytime 
Your word is involved. There is always eternal value. So may we be a people whose ears are tuned in from the call to worship all the way through to the benediction. May we be a people who are able to discern and be reproved for our good, for, for our relationship with you, for our relationship with other people. And we confess that we, we just don't want to understand where certain people are coming from. Uh, we, we just want to share our opinion. We just want people to uh, be amazed at how intelligent, how thoughtful, how uh, angry, how, whatever it is. We just want people to hear us instead of us hear them. We confess that we speak too quickly, that we don't use the means of grace as, as we ought to, uh, to apply it to those who have need, who have taken the step to even seek counsel from us or share something with us that we fail to steward that as we ought. But God, I, I know that we are forgiven in Christ, and I know that we are empowered in the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us to convict and lead and guide and exalt Jesus in and through us. I know we can grow. Would you help us to grow, help us to see where good things are happening in terms of people listening wisely. Help us to, to grow in that so that the family would get bigger and the family would get stronger. And we pray for these things in Christ's name. Amen.